broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Smith Inc. November webinar and podcast episode. If you are joining us live today, you will have the opportunity to ask a question at any time. If you just use the ask a question function on your go-to control, go to webinar control panel, and that will be answered at the end of the session. If you are viewing the recording or listening to the podcast later, uh, you can ask us a question by contact contacting us directly at smithinc.com. I'm now going to hand over to David Smith, Smith Inc. Director, to present his session on another year of change in financial planning. Over to you, David. Great. Thanks, Andrea. Good afternoon, everybody. Hopefully, wherever you are, you're not getting smoked out like we are in Sydney and most of New South Wales. Um, it's been a bit of a tough time, hasn't it? And it looks as though it's going to get worse. Uh, I thought we should just... Uh, close out the year just about with a bit of an update on what's happening in the financial planning space. As um, some of you might be aware, I'm chairman of Crescere Partners, which is a business which is building joint ventures with accounting firms to do planning. So we're quite, uh, obviously I've, I'm quite involved in, in uh, what's happening in the planning space. And I just thought a little bit of an update uh, and reconsidering the sort of options that firms have um, might be um, worth uh, running through. Of course, been, there's been a few things which have been happening over the last few months. Um, I suppose the first thing which uh, has really been happening is that we've seen a bit of activity from the accounting profession. And uh, speaking for myself, um, it's about time. I've been somewhat frustrated that the accounting bodies have been silent during this whole period of substantial change coming out of the Royal Commission uh, and really uh, not advocating for what is really in the best interest of the community. Uh, and finally, we've got the accounting bodies, all three of them, the IPA, Chartered Accountants and the CPAs, uh, who are now joining together and trying to create some debate. And I probably should just... Um, uh, reflect upon the fact that this debate really started from um, Ron Lish from BGL uh, really getting getting stuck into people saying that we needed to bring back the accountant's exemption or something similar. Now, while the accounting bodies are not saying that we should be doing that, they are saying that the current system is fundamentally broken. And to be frank with you, it is hard to see outside the regulators, anyone who would disagree with that statement, that the current system really is not working the way it should be. You know, at the end of the day, accountants have always had the, the desire and drive, and might I say, talking for myself, the skill set to be able to provide broad-based holistic advice to their clients. And at the end of the day, that's actually what clients want. Now, in many situations, uh, in most situations, I should say, accountants, most accountants are really not all that inclined to get involved in actually making product advice or in specific investment selection advice. But they do want to get involved in providing that broad-based holistic advice. And so part of the debate from the... Uh, from the accounting bodies is to say, well, how do we create a framework that enables that? 
Um, and we've got the, the other issue now is that there is so many regulations in so many spaces, be it tax, be it um, financial planning, et cetera, that there is an overlap of regulation um, and you have to be um, a near um, Mensa candidate to understand how all these regulations interact and what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do in particular situations. Um, and all of this is getting worse, not better. And what does that mean in the end is that we end up with um, potential for a substantial advice gap. And I think we're already seeing that, that there are large swathes of the community that are really being pushed in a position where they can't get advice or they can't afford advice. And so the argument the accounting bodies are putting up is that we need to come up with a broader, um, more robust solution. The regulations need to be harmonised. All the definitions and, and the licensing regimes need to be reviewed. In other words, there needs to be a root and branch, go back to basics, rethink what we're trying to do here because we just seem to have regulation over regulation. And for somewhere in the middle of all of this, uh, it seems to many of us that the community best interest is being lost somewhere. Um, obviously, in the end, we need advice that's, that is as high quality as we can achieve, but it's gotta be efficient and it's gotta be affordable because if it's not efficient and affordable, then we're doing the community a disservice. So, it's a good debate to be had and the accounting bodies finally are to be commended for having the debate. The problem which I see already and we've already seen from ASIC, um, they're already pushing back and seem to be strongly opposed to anything that could be interpreted as a loosening of regulation. And I don't think the accounting bodies are actually necessarily talking about loosening of regulations. They just what they're talking about fundamentally is tidying things up um, to ensure that um, people are receiving uh, appropriate advice in their best interests um, at an affordable price. Um, and that makes eminent sense to me. So we've got that whole debate going on, how that will pan out in 2020. It's anybody's guess. I hope the accounting bodies will continue um, with some vigour to keep pushing away and not just give up in uh, under the pressure from ASIC and others. Um, while that's been going on, we have this continued restructuring of the um, financial planning industry. Um, probably the biggest highlight over the last few months has, has been um, the one in a thousand year <laughs> Um, transaction that um, Count Plus has managed to pull off in the acquisition of Count Financial from the CBA. And uh, that's, a, that's a, a positive thing for Count Financial um, firms who are being overburdened by um, highly uh, um, regular, not regulated is not the right word, uh, highly um, procedurized and, and lots of red tape in trying to provide advice. So it was becoming almost impossible to efficiently produce an SOA in a timely manner uh, without multiple reviews by the Count Financial team under the CBA. And uh, Matthew Rowe, the CEO of 
Count Financial has said that one of the things which they're working very hard on is how do they streamline their processes to enable uh, advice to be more efficient and, and more cost effective and more timely. So we'll be looking forward with that. In the last couple of weeks as well, Count Plus or Count Financial under Count Plus have uh, reissued version one of their new pricing arrangements. Uh, you know, to, to mixed reviews, I, I suppose I would say, um, but you know, clearly there needs to be a rethinking on how pricing happens because of the there's different cost structures, different compliance regimes, and quite rightly, Count Plus. Um, now with our own Count Financial is really saying we need to come up with a better model. Uh, and whilst um, what we've seen is version one, there'll be uh, a second iteration, I believe, in 2020. Um, one of the effects of all of this is probably if uh, the smaller firms uh, inside Count Financial um, may not find that Count Financial is the appropriate home for them anymore. It is very difficult for Count Financial to support smaller firms that uh, essentially Count Financial ends up losing money on. To be uh, efficient, uh, Count Financial needs to ensure that all of the firms in the group are generating good revenue because of the cost structures of running a dealer group these days. So uh, there is a, a question if uh, for smaller firms inside the count financial world as to where what they might consider as a, as a, as a way forward. Um, and, you know, one of the options is Crescere Partners, which I'm involved with, but also I've already seen a couple of instances of um, small account financial firms being tucked into large account financial firms, which might be one of the approaches. Um, we've obviously seen as well the huge ructions inside the AMP where they're um, actively exiting non-performing firms um, because of all of the legal agreements in the count in the AMP world um, there is all sorts of talk of class actions and all sorts of activities from advisors there I think that's going to be um, an interesting thing to watch through th 2020 um, and will make AMPs restructure even more challenging. But it does mean that um, advisors are, are getting, uh, having to leave, having to rethink what their strategy is. Um, more advisors continue to leave the industry, which is going to put more pressure um, on the whole world. Um, clearly, we're also seeing ASIC applying a lot more teeth. Um, you only need to be pulling up the accounting profession and financial planning industry press almost daily. You'll see some advisor getting banned by ASIC. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that that is a bad thing because we need to weed out those advisors who are, who are not um, doing the right thing. And for, for many a long time, many of us thought that ASIC was a bit asleep at the wheel. So I don't think it is a bad thing that we're seeing greater activity from ASIC, um, but it does mean <clears throat> that those who are operating in the industry really need to ensure that they've um, got their act together, that their, uh, their um, compliance with the regulations is uh, second to none. As I've already said, advisors are exiting, feeling under pressure. There's lots of uh, 
uh, analysis showing advisors really um, having a lot of uh, uh, mental stress. Uh, and so uh, that's going to be an ongoing issue. Uh, and the net effect of that could be that, again, it's going to be more and more difficult to um, provide advice and have enough advisors out there to provide the advice that the community needs. Um, the effect of all of this sort of activity, of course, is that prices continue to go up. You know, we're now seeing the cost of an SOA to establish an SNSF um, circa $4,000. Um, that's um, a, a very high number uh, and uh, uh, is creating some uh, angst inside um, parts of the accounting industry, but that's just the way of the world in terms of what needs to be done to, uh, to produce these documents these days um, with all the regulatory burden that exists. Um, the, and then, uh, of course, on the other side of the equation is that there is pressure uh, in terms of the value of uh, advice businesses, obviously commissions, grandfather commissions and the like, all um, disappearing. Um, that is affecting the value of businesses. And so um, once again, all of these things are impacting over the whole structure of the financial planning industry. And more recently in the last week, we've seen that FASIA, the, the uh, Financial Advisor Standards and Ethics, authority has um, come up with their latest iteration uh, and commentary on their uh, ethics code. And um, there has been a, a large number of um, complaints and pushbacks uh, from the industry about this, saying that FASIA doesn't quite understand what we're trying to achieve and that, um, in, in fact, going as far as to say that FASIA is, is trying to become the lawmaker because they're trying to go further than the law actually um, is, uh, is put in place, that it basically says that, you know, as an example, conflicts of in interest, um, the sort of FASIA's current um, code seems to say that conflicts of interest should be banned, whereas the law says that conflicts of interest should be managed. Um, so there's lots of unintended consequences here. A lot of people pushing back, a lot of people saying that um, the uh, commencement of this code needs to be delayed. Uh, and so uh, I think over the next month, um, there will be a fair bit of activity sitting there in terms of what might happen around this whole FASIA world. And uh, I know from from Crochet's point of view and from other businesses that I'm involved with, there's a fair degree of analysis of going on as to what the FASIA um, code might mean and how um, activities might need to be changed inside um, licensees. Um, now that said, you know, we've, I, I think I've spoken about most of this, but <clears throat> you know, we still have the issue of the unreadable SOA. We still have the issue that um, whether advice is affordable. We've still got the issue that many dealer groups are struggling to survive with the compliance burden. And so those industry challenges are not going away. It is contributing to advisors leaving the industry uh, and different groups folding and, and moving on as well is another trend that we're seeing. But in the end of the day, um, clients still need advice. And 
it's only between 20 and 50% of accounting firm clients tend to have a financial planner. And yet, um, I think all of you would acknowledge that we need to have a plan for retirement. Um, and every client needs that plan to retirement. Um, Australians are heavily underinsured and um, that needs to be dealt with as well. Um, but when you have those issues, and then we've got the issue that trust in financial planners is, uh, is not very good. And in fact, the more recent survey says that trust in financial planners is hovering around the 40%, trust in accountants is hovering around the 80%. So um, what that says is that, uh, you know, we've, there's an opportunity for accountants to help provide the solution here, um, but the industry has still got some substantial challenges, despite the fact that we have this issue that clients are needing to find uh, a solution. So the question I think for every accountant is, well, what does that mean for me and my firm? And I have a very strong view here that the accounting industry is really the industry that should be able to step into the space to claim the financial planning space from the big institutions who screwed it up um, so that we can be the provider of choice in financial planning going forward. Um, as I've already said, uh, accountants have a much higher trusted position with their clients. Um, accountants always wanted to provide more holistic advice and so um, providing financial planning advice where you're assisting clients with um, their, their wealth planning and their retirement planning is something which just fits with what an accountant should be doing. And then when you combine with the fact that commissions are basically disappearing and uh, financial planning businesses now are fundamentally fee-for-service type businesses, which means the business model of a financial planning firm is much more like an accounting firm. And so there is a comfort factor for accountants and their clients that the, the way of remuneration is, uh, is much, uh, much more closely aligned to how an accounting firm operates. So in my mind, I believe every accountant in practice needs to have a strategy around this. Um, and, and there's two drivers here. The number one driver is what's in the client's best interest. And the client's best interest is that they need to have a solution, have, a, have assistance to help them ensure that they're protecting themselves from risk uh, and that they're um, building wealth for their future financial needs and retirement. And I believe that accountants are ideally placed to be the people to help clients move down that road. Um, the, the facts are that every client who walks into an accountant's office thinks they're going to get this advice anyway. Um, and, and so um, we, we've had this issue that, you know, most accountants um, keep thinking as per that second dot point, who says I can't do this because this is what my accountants want, my clients want. Uh, and as I said earlier, finally, the profession, the big accounting bodies have finally acknowledged that, you know, we need to be addressing that issue and they're now starting to fight that battle. So what are the options here? The options are firstly, do it yourself. Um, to do it yourself, um, there's a huge amount of time required, a huge amount of effort, huge amount of cost. Uh, in my mind, if you're going to do it yourself, 
and build your own financial planning practice from scratch, you need to be a firm of some size to build up sufficient scale to pay for the infrastructure to enable that to happen. Um, and the vast majority of the profession, I don't believe, have sufficient scale uh, to enable um, a, a complete building of your own uh, licensed financial planning business from scratch, um, where you need to manage the team, manage the compliance, ensure the advice is provided uh, in, a com uh, in a compliant fashion, in a timely fashion, um, and uh, all the costs and the, the challenges of running the financial planning business on top of that requirement, I think for most firms is a bridge too far. Obviously, joining a dealer group uh, still remains an option. Um, people like Lonsdale, a part of IOOF, they focus on the accounting industry. Obviously, Count Financial, now owned by Count Plus, they will continue to be a, a provider here. Um, and uh, these, these are a viable solution. Um, however, both of these solutions do require you still essentially to build and operate your own financial planning business, albeit under their license. So they will be providing the infrastructure around the license, they help you with com compliance, uh, and uh, they'll provide that sort of underlying piece for you, but you still need to hire the planners, you still need to run the financial planning business, you, you still need to work, ensure that you're generating sufficient business to um, make a profit. So you're still in the business of running a financial planning firm. And might I say as well, um, the cost of dealer groups is going up because the compliance burden is so much higher. So you really need to sit down and do a business case, do the mathematics to work out um, whether or not this is a viable solution for you. Um, you could refer to a planner. Um, interestingly, referring, referring to a planner now looks a bit more problematic if you look at the FASIA um, code because uh, they talk about um, the conflict of referral fees and the like. And so um, that still needs to be worked through, but I suppose you can refer to a planner without referral fees plowing, flowing. Um, but the problem with referring to a planner is that you lose control. You lose control over the quality of service. Trust gets a bit diluted a bit because you're sort of throwing the client over the fence to, um, to another advisor rather than um, uh, the client sort of continuing to engage with you and your firm. Um, and you've lost a business opportunity um, to build up a business for yourself. So whilst that, that is an option, um, it, it's, I, I think it's a less than optimal option. Um, you could go into business with a planner. Um, so, you know, there is a, you could merge your business in with a financial planner, or you could create sort of a, a planning business that's jointly owned. Um, once again, you're in now in the business of running a financial planning business, though, with the resources required. Um, you're in essentially a partnership with a financial planner. That can be challenging because financial planners and accountants tend to think a bit differently. Uh, and there's been um, many examples of attempts to merge financial planning and accounting firms that have failed because of the philosophical difference between how a, plan a planner thinks and how an accountant thinks. 
Uh, it still will take up time to um, manage and create and manage um, the, the business. Um, and there still can be some questions uh, over, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, the business is continuing to compliant and all the boxes are being ticked. And the last option is really what we're trying to do with Crescere, which is really build a, a cooperative model where essentially um, a branded joint venture is created um, uh, for the accounting firm. So the accountant create the accounting firm creates a branded financial planning arm. However, Crescere provides all of the wherewithal to do this. So Crescere runs the financial planning business, recruits and uh, engages the planners, but the planners, when they're working on the clients, do so under the accounting firm's brand, do so from the accounting firm's office, and do so in conjunction with the partner of the accounting firm, the client partner. So for all intents and purposes, from the client's perspective, they're receiving the service from their accountant in their accountant's office from a branded financial planning business in the accounting, uh, under the accounting firm's brand. But from the accountant's perspective, um, Crescere is dealing with all the compliance. Crescere is dealing with all of the um, generation of all of the advice um, paperwork. Uh, Crescere is doing all of the advice and engaging the pl planners. Crescere is taking the financial risk um, of running the financial planning business and the accountant is receiving a, a share of revenue to compensate the accountant for being involved in, in um, client meetings and for providing some staff in terms of how we manage the workflow and ensuring information is being exchanged in a seamless way so that the client feels as though they're getting a very seamless um, provision uh, of, of service. So um, we, we feel that Crescere is probably the right is the right structure to assist accountants to really move down this road in a pretty painless way, but to create this sort of branded joint venture um, for their firm uh, and be able to provide this sort of seamless service to um, their clients. There's now about 18 firms in the uh, Crescere world uh, and uh, I know that we would be delighted to talk to you about that. So if you're interested, don't hesitate to drop me a note and uh, we can contact you and talk further about what Crescere can do. The last thing I wanted to talk about was the DIY investor. Now, I think there is a, another issue here for accountants to deal with. We're never going to be providing advice to 100% of all our clients. Um, there will be a certain chunk of clients uh, who, for one reason or another, uh, will want to do this themselves. But what we need to do is ensure that they're, provide, that they're making the best possible decisions that they possibly can. Um, you don't want them getting their investment advice from a mate down the pub. Um, you, you want some way that they can get some help. And they, you know, there is a lot of research to show that there is a need for greater diversification and sophistication in the investments. And I've listed here a few options uh, that um, 
you know, are really emerging here. Obviously, ETFs is um, a great way of getting diversification. Uh, and, and so um, giving, um, uh, having clients understand that and, 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 uh, and researching that is something that um, is, is worth um, thinking about. Um, Vanguard offers things like diversified ETFs, so they're very broad range, very diversified, um, and a great way of managing risk. Um, there's robo platforms out there, although I've got to say robo advice really hasn't taken off. Uh, and um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in that world over the next few years. Uh, and then lastly, there is, um, uh, there is marketplaces emerging. And this is something that you could suggest to, to clients that they have a look at. And these, these are really marketplaces where the big investment managers, the Schroders and the Macquarie's and others, um, put their put um, content up on this marketplace, and investors can get an understanding about what those providers are doing, and they can then, if they wish to, um, access their um, model portfolios um, via the uh, via the platform such as um, Open Invest, which is the the leading marketplace platform uh, here in Australia. So um, suggesting to clients they should go and have a look at something like Open Invest would make a lot of sense. Uh, because in the end, what you want your clients to do is to understand the value um, of the advice and make better investment decisions. So I've skated through that very quickly over the last half hour. I hope I've given you a bit of a picture of all the latest changes, which um, uh, some of which are a bit nightmarish some of which we'll just have to wait and see how they pan out like FASIA and what the accounting bodies are doing. And I've tried to give you a bit of a picture about where the options still sort of land and what you could consider going forward. So I'll hand back to Andrea now to see if there's any questions. Andrea. Thanks, David. Um, reminder, everybody, if you would like to ask a question, you can just type that into the ask a question function. I'll read that out for you and David will answer. Um, Nothing at the moment, David, which is unusual. Hopefully I've explained everything. That's right. <laughs> Nothing coming through. Very quiet today. All right. Okay. Fantastic. So um, thank you all for attending. Um, I hope that's been a help. If you want to ask me about anything in this presentation, um, don't hesitate to do so. If you want further information on Cushare, uh, of which I'm chairman, the uh, cooperative joint venture model, uh, please contact me. I can send you out more information and contact you and have a bit further chat about it. Thanks very much for attending. and look forward to talking with you next time. If I don't talk to you a bit before Christmas, have a, have a lovely break. Uh, enjoy the holiday season. And I hope uh, the bushfires stay clear of everyone around the country. Thanks very much. Thanks everybody for attending.